Thanks for tuning in to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged to walk out the gospel as you listen to this message. Numbers chapter 6 is <laughs> where, we're going, uh, where we're going to be today. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what God wants to do for you, okay? So that's not necessarily the title. I don't really give talks titles. I find it takes a little too much time for me to come up with what I'm trying to talk about. Um, but we're going to be in number six, and this is what it says in number six, verse 22. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And so they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So God tells Moses to tell Aaron how to bless the people. Why doesn't God just bless the people? Why doesn't God just tell the people? Well, there are reasons that we don't get into. But God tells Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people. It says so much to me. It says that sometimes God works through people. How many of you know it's humbling to hear from someone else sometimes? Why doesn't God just talk to me? I'll tell you why. Because we would become proud. That's why. It takes humility to allow God to work through other people, right? Why? Because none of us are perfect. I don't deserve to stand up here and talk about God. Um, so God tells Moses to tell Aaron, but he doesn't say, tell Aaron how to pray. God tells Moses to tell Aaron, this is how you're going to bless the people. So there's a, there's a slight difference between prayer and blessing and prophecy. When I say prophecy, I'm not talking about telling the future. Biblical prophecy is a lot less about what's coming in the future. It's more about what is God saying now, because when God speaks... God speaks outside of time. So sometimes when God speaks, it involves something that's going to happen a thousand years down the road. So pro but prophecy is less about what's going to happen way in the future, and it's more about what is God saying. How many of you know sometimes God says things that are relevant to 500 years down the road? That's like uh, we just celebrated the resurrection and, and Palm Sunday. How many of you know there were times when God spoke to a prophet present tense, but God had something in mind that was going to happen 500 years down the road. That's just, that's just the way he is. But prayer is when we petition God for divine intervention. Prayer is when we come before God and we ask, God, will you change this? God, will you help me? So prayer is coming before God and asking God to personally step into a situation. Prophecy or the prophetic is when we listen to the voice and in some ways it propels or catalyzes us forward, if I can say it that way. Blessing is a little bit different. Blessing in the Bible is kind of when you, when you can reach out and grab a hold of something and pull it into now. So think of the prophetic kind of like it launches you forward a little bit, but blessing is when you grab that and pull it in. So an example would be David, who David was not a Levite, he was not a priest, 
And yet David functioned in a New Testament reality before the uh, veil in the uh, temple was torn. It's the tabernacle of David, 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week prayer and worship, just the tangible presence of God. David handled the holy things, but he was not a Levite. So David functioned under a New Testament reality before the New Testament came. That sounds a little heavy, but that would be an example of how it's possible to pull the future into now. That's, that's, that's what blessing does. So God tells Moses to tell Aaron, this is how you're going to bless the people. So the context of this isn't necessarily prayer. It's not necessarily the prophetic. It is blessing. And the words in this prayer, it's sometimes called the priestly blessing or the Aaronic blessing. Um, all I know is it's a number six. But these words, sometimes the, the meaning and the symbolism gets lost when we translate it into English. And so in, the, in ancient Hebrew, numbers had a numerical value. And in ancient Hebrew, when you read when you read the, the Hebrew scriptures, it was a little bit different than going from point A to point B. It was a little bit different than being linear because Hebrew thinking is not linear. It is spherical. So, so again, in our Western individualistic mindset, when we think, we think A to B. But a Hebrew, it would be more like sticking a sphere over your head and spinning it. That's why the Bible talks about seasons, the Bible talks a lot about seasons. It doesn't talk about 802, 810, 815. Uh, am I communicating well? So a lot of the meaning gets lost. Let me give you an example. So in verse 24 in my Bible, it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. That's seven English words, but in the Hebrew, it's three. So in verse 24, there are three Hebrew words in verse 25, there are five Hebrew words. And in verse 26, there are seven Hebrew words. Now remember, each Hebrew letter has a numerical value. So it's three, five, seven. When you add up three and five and seven, you get 15. And the Hebrew letter for number one is Yod. And the Hebrew letter for number five is Hey. Yod, Hey, that's God's name. Yah. So when you look at it in Hebrew, you don't just see words. You see 15 words that if you step back just a little bit, you see God's name. So how many of you know that gets lost in English, right? I mean, like none of us know that. Like you don't know that if, unless you know it. And so what, what I want to do today is just kind of talk a little bit about some of the stuff that kind of gets lost over time and just remind us all about who God is and the way God wants to treat you. Because God is better than we deserve. And he is better than we can even possibly begin to describe. And so that's what we're going to do today. So this, this blessing was only to be given Corporately, It didn't happen in homes. It didn't happen at the table. It didn't happen one-on-one, -on -one, uh, you know, over, 
over, you know, goat meat and flatbread. It, it was corporately, and it was once a year. It didn't happen every week. It didn't happen every Sabbath. It happened once a year. And the only person who was allowed to pronounce this blessing was the high priest. So it's not like anybody could just do this. There was one person in the whole country who could pronounce this blessing once a year. Okay, so this is, this is a rare occurrence. And in order to be that one person, you had to be the high priest and you had to be from a specific tribe, the tribe of Levi. And when the high priest would bless the people corporately with this blessing, the high priest would take his, his hands and do this, okay? Um, it's the Hebrew letter Shin, and it represents the name of God, Shaddai. Uh, he who dwells in the secret place abides under the shadow of El Shaddai. It means Almighty. So the priest would take his hands and do that, and the shadow from his hands would stretch out over the people. And it was kind of like symbolic that, hey, don't forget, the whole point of this blessing is we get to dwell under God's shadow. So they believed that somebody's anointing extended as far as their shadow. That's why it's important when it talks about even his, Peter's shadow. People were healed when they touched his shadow. It's not talking about how Peter's like super spiritual. It's talking about um, a reality that they believed. They believed that an anointing extended as far as someone's shadow. So the high priest holds up his hands. Once a year, one person pronounces this, this blessing. Now, last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus, and one of the things the resurrection of Jesus um, accomplished for us is, number one, in Romans 8, verse 34, it says, Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, and he ever lives to make intercession for us. So the book of Hebrews describes Jesus as our high priest. So Jesus is not just a friend who sticks closer than a brother, although he is that. He's not just our savior, although he is that. He's not just our Lord, although he is that. He's also our great high priest, which is fascinating because Jesus is not from the tribe of Levi. He's from the tribe of Judah. So how many of you know that sometimes God breaks rules that we think he put in place? He's from the tribe of Judah, and he is our great high priest. And because he sits down at the right hand of the father, remember back in the day, if you sit at the right hand of the king, um, you've got authority, you have influence. So Jesus is at the right hand of the father, and he intercedes. So have you ever wondered, what does Jesus pray? So we know he's not really praying the Lord's prayer, He's not sitting there, you know, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, because that's what he used to teach the disciples how to pray. He didn't use the, what we call the Lord's Prayer to teach them what to pray. He taught them how to pray through the Lord's Prayer. So <clears throat> I would suggest that some of the way that Jesus intercedes for us as our great high priest is very much related to some of the truths. I'm not saying Jesus recites number six every day, but I mean, I don't know, I'm not there. Um, I am there, but I'm not there, you know what I'm saying? And so, but the truths in number six are very much related to how he would intercede for us. 
So why does Jesus need to intercede for us? It's the same reason why God tells Moses to tell Aaron to bless the people. God just has ways he does things. And it's much more effective to discover his ways and fall in line with them than to sit around and ask questions all day long. Because there are some ways that God does things, whether we like it or not. So Jesus is interceding for us. And ironically, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, we are part of a royal priesthood. So not only, now it's no longer a high priest once a year blesses the people this way. Jesus, 25 hours a day, nine days a week, is, is blessing and interceding his people. And because we are part of a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2, 9, we can actually come before God and function like a high priest. And that sounds a bit you know, different, but we can function like a high priest and not only pray, but we can bless. So how do we know if this blessing was answered before I get in, into some of the meaning? Well, let me give you some examples. This blessing was pronounced over the ancient nation of Israel when they leave Egypt and they're heading towards the promised land. Remember, this is not an easy journey. And so I jotted down some thoughts. In the midst of countless struggles and uncertainties, surrounded by enemies and facing hourly unpredictable challenges, the entire nation thrived. That's one of the ways we know this blessing worked, if I could say it that way. They had plenty of food and water, even though back then there was no technology for cold storage, and none of the emancipated slaves had knowledge of agriculture. So they didn't know animal husbandry. They knew nothing about fertilizer and soil, nor do I. But they were emancipated slaves, and God meets the needs they have for food and water, although they did not have the technical know-how. They were protected from many enemies who not only wanted to kill them and rob them, but wanted to enslave them and drag them back to Egypt. In the midst of a land that is always prone to drought, their animal flocks increased. One of the things I do for my vocation is often I'll travel to some places where people don't have enough food and water. And, and the cows in southern Missouri look a lot different than the cows in Burkina Faso. Why? Because they don't have enough water. But their animals increased. It's a miracle. And sometimes we, we get so focused on the ball of fire and the cloud of God's presence, we forget. It's also equally as miraculous for their flocks to actually increase. It's, it's a bona fide miracle. The children grew and they were healthy during a time where routine medical care and preventative care was not accessible. They didn't have access to the information we have. Like we know it's not a good idea to shake a hundred hands and lick your fingers. Back then, they didn't know any of this stuff, which is so cool because in the book of Leviticus God and Deuteronomy, God gives them the truths and the knowledge and the information they need to actually thrive. I don't know if you've thought of it that way, but like the book of Leviticus is one of God's ways of giving them information so that they can make wise decisions. Hey, don't eat this kind of animal. It's not like God is anti, you know, catfish or whatever. He's just saying, hey, don't, don't eat this type of animal at this time. Why? Because if you do, you're going to get some diseases. So here's, here's, here are some dietary restrictions. 
here are some certain things you, you should do when certain people have certain diseases. So they made it all about sin and no sin. And God at the beginning was just all about, I want you to thrive. So, hey, here's the deal. When somebody has leprosy, just, you know, maybe, maybe quarantine them a little bit. I, I used the Q word, I'm sorry. Quarantine them a little bit. And it's not because God was mad at the lepers. God was trying to give them wisdom so that they could thrive, right? All right. So how else do we know that this blessing was answered? They domesticated their lives and they learned how to manage wealth even though none of them, with the exception of Moses, received an education. They were uneducated, emancipated slaves. Remember when they walked out of Egypt, they were carrying the treasures from Pharaoh's storehouse. It's not like they got a pole with a bag tied to the end of the pole and all they've got is a couple, you know, changes of clothes. They're carrying gold and mirrors. They literally plunder the storehouse of Pharaoh. That's what it says in the Bible. So they're walking towards the promised land. They've got people, they've got kids everywhere, and they're carrying treasure. And they were wise enough not to stop on the way and sell it all so that they could buy some food. God gave them wisdom to manage wealth. Did you ever wonder where they got the materials for the tabernacle? Pharaoh's storehouse. It's not like there's a gold Walmart in the middle of the desert. So they plunder Pharaoh's storehouse and that's why they can make like altars and an ark out of gold. So they're carrying treasure. God gave them wisdom to manage wealth, and God can do the same for us. You know, some of us don't know how to manage certain things. I know there's still an awful lot of stuff that I need to learn how to do more effectively. God can help us. He needs to help us. Because if we reduce it to our own vices and our own strength, we'll fail. They also had the presence of God, and I alluded to it earlier, a ball of fire in the sky, a cloud in the middle of the day. They had the presence of God. And I don't want to overlook that because at the end of the day, dead things come to life in God's presence. And so they had the presence of God in a tangible way. Those are just some of the examples of how we know the blessing, quote, worked. I think it's important sometimes to go back and look that like when we pray and when, when God asks us to, to bless things, that it's actually measurable. It's one of the reasons we pray specifically. It's not that God doesn't know what we're asking for because he knows what we have need of before we ask. One of the reasons we pray specifically is so that we can look back at our history in God and look at all the answered prayers. So he are, he's already going to answer before I ask. But sometimes he doesn't answer unless I ask. But praying specifically is all about having a reference of, God, you did this, you did this, you did this, you did this. So the prayer in number six, I would suggest it's really not about what God does for us, though. It's about God's heart towards us. It's about who God is and how God likes to treat us. So for just the remainder of our time, I'd like to walk through what some of the words mean. So it says in verse 24, the Lord bless you. That word Lord is, is huge. In your Bible, it may be capital L, lowercase o-r-d. In my Bible, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. 
So in the modern translations, it's capital L, lowercase o-r-d, because they translate the word Adonai into Lord. But in the Hebrew Bible, it's all caps. And whenever it's all capitals, that's what's called the tetragrammaton, or the ineffable name. It is Yahweh or Jehovah, okay? There are no vowels there. It's just four consonants, Y-H-W-H. It's called the ineffable name because they believe God's name was so holy, they stopped saying God's name. So we technically don't know if they called God Yahweh. We've made that up. Now, we've made it up based on some decent assumptions, but we really don't know. They stopped saying God's name for centuries because his name was so holy. When the scribes would write God's name when they're copying a scroll, they would write God's name. They'd have to stop and get up and go wash themselves and go through this massive ceremony of purification just because they wrote God's name. If they made a mistake when they were copying a scroll, they threw the whole thing away. And it took them months, by the way, to copy like the Torah, months. Each letter had to have the same amount of space in between them. You're doing this all by hand. It had, it, there were just all these rules. And so if they made a mistake, they'd throw the whole thing away. Why? Because God's name was on the paper. God's name was on the animal skin. His name is inexpressible and indefinable. The reason we don't know how they pronounced his name is because they've forgotten how they pronounced his name because they stopped saying his name so long ago. The high priest could only say God's name out loud once a year. So think of it this way, though. They say God's name is so holy we can't say God's name. But God tells Moses to tell Aaron, say my name. Your name is so holy. Your name is so pure. Say my name. The reward of the blessing is in verse 27. So they shall put my name on the children. It's almost as if God is saying, okay, I, I appreciate the respect you're giving me that my name is so holy you don't want to say anything. But I love you so much, I'm going to smear my name all over you. If you won't say my name, I'll dip you in my name. And everywhere you go, people will see my name. I will put my name on you. That, that Hebrew word um, is Shem. One of God's names is Hashem, the name. So you would come before God, and instead of saying God, you would say the name. His name is in, ineffable, indescribable, indefinable, and that's, that's who he is. And it is the epitome of mystery that the one whose name is so holy becomes a baby and comes to the earth. Remember one of the uh, Ten Commandments, don't take the Lord's name in vain? You know, we've reduced that to vulgar language. And I would suggest to you it really has a lot less to do with vulgar language. It has a lot more to do with ascribing things to God that don't represent the name. Coming up with doctrines to explain things we don't understand can be taking the Lord's name in vain. 
forming opinions about God because of our experience rather than knowing who God is from the word is one of the ways we take the Lord's name in vain. It's so much more than saying his name when we smash our hand with a hammer, although it's not a good idea to do that. But it's more than that. The name of God, Shem, represents God's character and God's attributes. It's not an identifier. It's not Heath. You say, hey, Heath, you just, that's my name. But when you say Hashem, the name, it's who he is and everything he stands for. That's what the Lord means. The Lord. May the Lord bless you. That word bless is in the pile form in Hebrew, and that word bless means this. It means to come before somebody and kneel down and give them gifts. So when you come before a king or a queen, you bring gifts, right? I've never met the queen of England, don't plan to. But if I ever come before the queen, I know for a fact you bring gifts. I've got a friend whose wife hangs out with the queen from time to time, and you bring the queen gifts. The king of kings does not expect you to bring him gifts. The king of kings bows down before the ones he died for, and he gives you gifts. That's, that's hard to swallow. Because the Holy One, whose name is ineffable and indefinable, bows before you to give you gifts. I mean, what do you say to that? It's uncomfortable, isn't it? That the King of Kings will bow before us. How many of you know we're all saying in that moment, God, what are you doing? Please, please get up. We're falling on our face. It's, it's who he is. James chapter one, verse 17, every good and perfect gift comes from above. You know, when we don't make room for the gifts of the Holy Spirit, we're saying to the God who kneels, no thank you. When we're insecure and we don't want to put his gifts into practice, God is, God is there. We're saying, mm-mm, not today. So we, how many of you know we don't want to refuse his gifts, right? The one who speaks it all into existence bows before you. That's what it means that the Lord blesses us. The word keep is an interesting word. It's... It's a word that comes from animal husbandry. And um, I don't know if you ever watched the National Geographic Channel. I do. I love it. Um, but, some, you know, there's this show that um, you'll go to the middle of nowhere. And in Africa, and this is practiced even to this day with tribes like the Masimara. So what will happen is when they're taking their, uh, their cattle across the desert... You know, and there's lions and hyenas and a, a lot of predators that want to eat them. In the evening, they will take thorns. Have you, maybe you've seen this on TV or maybe you've seen it in person. They will take thorns and build a wall of thorns around their animals. That's what they do. And um, in, the, in, the, in the middle of the evening, you'll hear hyenas and lions growling and walking around, but they won't penetrate through that small, thin layer of thorns. 
That's the word for keep. And one of the things that gets lost in English is, would be the posture and the physical behavior of God the Father, who God the Father comes and kneels. May the Lord bless you. He kneels, and then like a wall of thorns, he wraps his arms around us. So when the King of Kings comes and kneels, he doesn't stare us in the eyes, the eyes of fire, and, and get ready to read us the right act. He comes and kneels and he wraps his arms around us like a wall of thorns. The word is shamar. That word face, may the Lord bless you and keep you and the Lord make his face shine upon you. That word face reminds me of Exodus 33. I read it again yesterday. I'll read it to you. Exodus chapter 33, for the sake of time, I'll go fast. Verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken for you have found grace in my sight and I know you by name. I want you to listen to the, to the words in Exodus 33 and compare them to the words in the blessing of number six. I know you by name. And he said, please show me your glory, verse 19. And then God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. God says, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me. Don't you love that? God says, here's a place. Here's a place by me just for you. How many of you know we want to get to that place? So it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back. That's a euphemism for where I just was. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. For no one shall see my face and live. So basically God says in Exodus 33, if you see my face, you die. And number six, God says his face is accessible. That word face in Hebrew is plural. May God cause his faces to shine upon you. God has more than one expression on his face at one time. So to those who are devastated because of loss, the comforting face shines. To those who are compromising in their heart, the stern face shines. To those who are lonely, the welcoming face shines. To those who are terrified, the conquering face shines. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his faces to shine upon you. Ancient Hebrews believed the greatest consequence of sin was not eternal punishment, but God's hidden face. The word shine, may God cause his face to shine upon you, is the same word used in Genesis 1 when God separates the light from the darkness. It's one word. God speaks one word, or, and light and darkness separate. It's the same word, 
or. So the same thing that happened in the cosmos when light and darkness separate is the same thing that happens in the human soul when God turns his face towards us. When God turns his face towards us and it shines, everything is illuminated. Everything is brought out into the open. Darkness has to flee. So that means the, the cure for victory over sin isn't necessarily trying harder. It's getting before God's face where his face shines and darkness flees. Now, now, I want to be careful here because there are some things in my life that I'm, I'm st- there are some giants I'm still trying to slay. It's, none of it, though, is God's fault. The giants you're still trying to slay, we, it's important. That it's not like God is tolerating it for a while. No, it's, it's we come before God. God says, or his face shines upon us and darkness must leave. Sometimes God guides us not with a word, but with a facial expression. Sometimes we're praying for direction and we want God to speak, and sometimes God glances. I'm talking to God, I'm asking God for wisdom and direction, and I don't have a clue what to do next. I'm not hearing. Maybe, maybe the solution is not hearing. Maybe the solution is to get before his face and watch his eyes. Do I go left or right, God? It's, it's true. Sometimes he does that. Is God silent sometimes? I don't know. I don't think so. God talks quite a bit. But sometimes God talks without words. And one of the ways God talks is by moving, by motioning. So when his face shines upon us, not only does it expose everything in our heart, it exposes everything he's looking at. It's possible to come before the face of God and all things become illuminated. And God's face illuminates all the things that the human eye cannot see and we are exposed to all of God's promises. That word gracious, may the Lord um, be gracious to you. That word gracious is more than unmerited favor, but it means to find refuge which in this context, finding refuge is before God's face. Remember, I quoted the psalm earlier, he who dwells in the secret place abides under the shadow of the Almighty. Finding refuge is always found before the face of God. When we're afraid that our enemies will overtake us, when we're afraid that, you know, perhaps we've been accused of something or people are playing games or manipulating, the safe place is before the face of God. Okay? That's the safe place. And being, God being gracious to us is found before his shining face. Our understanding of darkness needs to change because dwelling in the secret place puts us under his shadow. And sometimes when things get dark and we don't see clearly, it's supposed to be a reminder that we are already under his shadow. So a lack of understanding and a lack of knowing isn't necessarily a sign that the enemy is confusing us. Sometimes a lack of understanding means things are getting darker because I'm dwelling under his shadow and I don't need to understand because his face is always shining. So God always sees things clearly even when I don't. 
So the fact that you know it's dark is proof that there is light. How many of you know in outer darkness, nobody's saying, turn the lights on. You don't know what light is because it's outer darkness. At the bottom of the ocean, you don't know what light is because it's always been dark there, right? So the fact that there's darkness is proof that there's light. That phrase, lift up his countenance, goes back to the posture and physical behaviors of God. So um, it's a word that's used to describe a father with a toddler. So let me act it out again. The king of kings, may the Lord bless you. The king of kings comes before us and bows down and gives us gifts. Then he wraps his arms around us like a wall of thorns, like a shepherd would build in the evening so that the wolves didn't overtake the sheep. And then the king of kings looks us in the eyes and he, he makes contact with us. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And then that phrase, may he lift up his countenance upon you, is the king who bows and looks and wraps his arms around you. He stands and he picks you up and he holds you up high above his face and he begins walking. You've seen it with the parent who scoops up the toddler and throws, you know, and grandpas are always famous for this. How many, how many of you have ever seen the grandfathers throw the little baby too high in the air? And it's like, okay, the baby doesn't have a helmet. There's no knee pads. That's, that's quite a bit of, of distance here, Grandpa. Simmer down. They pick up the grandbaby and throw him or her up into the air. That's, that is the exact image and metaphor for what the Lord, the ineffable name, Yahweh, does to you. He picks you up and throws you up in the air as he walks. And all you can do, because gravity is pulling your gaze down, how many of you have ever seen the baby or the toddler thrown up in the air staring up at the clouds? It's impossible. The force of gravity always pulls the face of the child down. So as God does that, all you see is him. That's Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. How does he direct your path? He picks you up and tosses you in the air as he walks with you. That's, that's the imagery of number six. We don't deserve that. God's countenance is the fullness of who he is expressed externally. And then lastly, it ends with, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. That word peace, perhaps you're familiar with shalom. It's not necessarily um, just emotional equilibrium. It is complete and total wholeness. Shalom is the fulfillment of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So it's not just, I'm no longer afraid, I've got peace. It's completely whole, completely complete. That's the actual literal definition of shalom. Completely complete. But the word grant is fascinating because it seems shalom. Shalom is peace, seem is grant. Seem shalom. It's to prepare a feast. Remember Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The way he grants his peace is he prepares a feast of peace. It is the never-ending banqueting table of peace. 
you can walk up to the buffet and choose. That's, may the Lord grant us peace. So we have a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the Father who prays things like this. The truths found in number six. He, he intercedes for us on this in, in conjunction with, with this. We have the ability to come before God. God doesn't have to tell Moses to tell Aaron to tell us anymore. We have the ability to come before God and ask God himself to bless us. So I'm going to ask you to stand. So regardless of where you come from and regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you perceive yourself to be, the Lord comes before you and bows down. And he gives you gifts. And then he looks at you with his shining face and he wraps his arms around you. And I'm not sure how long they stay that way. Perhaps a few thousand years if it's needed. And then he scoops us up and he tosses us in the air. And he walks with us through life. This is the way God wants to treat you. So today, I just, I'm going to take my time and bless you with these words. But I'm really not going to be the one who blesses you. God is going to bless you. So, Lord, I pray that today, as as we pronounce this blessing, Lord, we trust your word. We know the power behind your word, but more than that, we know you. And today, we've caught a glimpse of how precious and indescribable indescribable you are to us. We don't deserve to be treated this way. But thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ, it's possible. And I thank you that today, although you're better than we deserve and you're better than we can even fathom, Lord, I pray that today you'll open up our eyes and our hearts and that you will cause the truth found in this uh, part of your word to revolutionize the way we think about you and to completely alter the way we self-perceive and to change our hearts. God, I need you to change my heart. We need you to change our hearts so that your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So may the Lord bless you. God, I thank you that we can say your name. 
I thank you that the ineffable name, the name that's not allowed to be said, we can say it. And I pray we'll never lose the awe of being able to speak your name. Lord, and even now as you come before your sons and daughters and the King of Kings kneels before us, it makes us uncomfortable. It doesn't seem right. But you model for us how to live. And you teach us our value when you come before us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, I pray that we will feel your embrace today. That the brokenhearted will feel the embrace of God. For those of us who don't know how to be embraced anymore, teach us how to, how to be embraced by you. More than a wall of thorns, the very arms of our protector king wrapped around us. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. Gaze into the face of God right now, whoever you are, wherever you're at, in the family center, in the sanctuary, or listening online. Look into the face of God, and what you need to see, you will find there. The panim, the plural face of God. You will see the comforting face, the assuring face, the peaceful face, the victorious face, the loving face, the holy face. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you. And give you peace. Just right where you're at, just have a, let's just have a time where you can just talk to God on your own. Go ahead. Now, God, I thank you that you're putting your name on your children. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. God, thank you for lending your name to us. And I pray that we will live in such a way that honors and glorifies your name. For we never want to take your name in vain. And so again, may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
and may he lift up his countenance upon you and grant you peace. God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Let God come kneel before you and give you a hug in the days to come. Love you.